when I was umpiring, I would walk out in the field and, you know, they'd start booing. And I'd say, I didn't do anything yet. You know? <laughs> but wait, the one that really, really bothered me, move around, you're killing the grass. Former Major League umpire Ron Luciano. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, they say baseball is a funny game. No, no, I mean really a funny game filled with colorful characters. And in the 1980s, one of the best chroniclers of those characters was former umpire Ron Luciano. He umpired in the American League from 1969 to 1979 and along the way collected hundreds of stories about some of those most colorful characters, past and present. I met Ron Luciano in 1989 when we talked about his book, Remembrance of Swing's Past. So here now, from 1989, Ron Luciano. Baseball, you can write about it metaphorically. Baseball, you can relate to. I cannot relate to uh, Jabbar. He's nine foot twelve. <laughs> I mean, how can I say yes? A normal five ten man talk about a twelve foot per giant, and then you talk about football. When you watch football on on television, every single time the guy takes his helmet out, he turns around and says, "Hi, mom, we're one," right? They never do that with baseball. I can't relate to some idiot saying, hi, mom, we're number one. I can relate to the 5'10 normal baseball player who has trouble putting down his sunglasses. So it is real life and true life. And spring training is the washing of the free time. And now we can start. But you know what people like Dick Vitale will come in here and he'll say, baseball is boring. It's so slow. Nobody does it. The pitcher goes out there, scuffs around the mound a little bit. Rubs his glove, looks, shakes his head, and it's 10 minutes before he throws the ball. In 10 minutes, you could rack up 40 points in the NBA. But that's the joy of baseball. That's what makes it so exciting. If I'm watching the NBA and I miss the last two minutes of the half or the last two minutes of the game, forget it. I missed the whole game. <laughs> I get up and go in with 30 seconds left to get a beer. I come back, 17-point change. I I get up and go, there was the shot of the century. I missed the shot of the century. (laughs) On a Saturday afternoon, I'm mowing the lawn and watching the game on TV, baseball game, and not missing anything. It is the you can do those things. It's it, you play constantly. One of the things that I learned, and I talk about in the book and stuff, baseball is losing. And I losing. What do you mean losing? If you win a hundred games this year, let's say Baltimore, right? Baltimore wins 100 games this year. Well, <laughs> that's not really ridiculous. But maybe 10 years ago, Baltimore wins 100 games. They lost 62 games. Ask Vital about a college team that lost 62 games in one season, <laughs> right? I mean, you, it's devastating. If a pro team lost 62 games in one season, you, you'd fire the, the manager, you'd fire the town. I mean, you'd, you'd do everything. So baseball has losing. In football, if you lose this week, seven days, six days of practice, and all you have that loss inside of you, if you lose the next Sunday as well, then you've got 14 days of losing and think about losing in one horrendous time. Baseball, you play a doubleheader. You lose the first game. You get 20 minutes before you start the second. <laughs> How can you worry about it? So baseball is its so different than any other sport. I can relate to that because in true life, if I do one thing wrong, I'm not going to dwell on it for 14 days. 
I'm going to forget about it because I've got something else to do wrong in the next 20 seconds. And that's why baseball can be, can be related to life so much easier. And it's so much easier to write about baseball. That's why it's so much easier when I write about baseball, the characters. Because the characters in yeah. baseball are the characters uh, that go on in life. That was my favorite chapter in the book, but... We don't have as many characters as we used to have, do we? Oh, see, there we go with the perception of everything is different. Uh, when I did research on the book, I talked to the players of the 40s, players of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Every single one of them said, they don't have fun anymore. We had fun in the 40s. They didn't have fun in the 50s. 50 players. We had fun in the 50s. They have a, talk to the 80 players, right? Uh, I can't wait till the 90s because they will have fun in the 80s <laughs> when they're in the 90s, but not anymore. I talked to every – in spring training uh, two years ago when I am writing, writing the book, I talked to – a catcher, and he said, Ronnie, it's terrible. Look, at we're in here in the dressing room. There's no fun. It was fun when I played. It was Buck Martinez, and he retired over the winner. I said, what happened? They stopped having fun over the winner, Buck? I mean, how can you say this? It's the perception of of people looking at the game saying those things, which you're not too. But you want it to be that way because that's the way life is, and that's there. there's the parallel, and that's why you relate to all these people. But who are today's Pearsalls and Deans oh. and, and Drabowskis? Uh, well, see, we have them today, but we're not going to write about them until the 90s. You don't mm. talk about them because today, see, you can't talk about Wade Boggs, who has just had oh, just all kinds of trouble because he's in Penthouse. He is on the road. Uh, Chicky or Dolly or Baseball Annie, whatever you want to call her, has just exposed that he has his wife and child home, and then he has me on the road. And Margot Adams is her name, and she's got a two, two episodes in Penthouse, and she reveals all of how he takes me around to these different places and how he's not a team man. He cares about his batting and not whether the team wins or loses. And he's uh, all these horrible things that happen. Ten years from now, these will be funny. These will be the funny part. Remember when we went into the bar and the girl fell down and the only thing we did was look up her dress? And not, Now that's funny ten years from now, but not today. And that's why Mo Dubrowski, when he was, he was known as the Snake King. I said, Snake King? What, what is a snake? He said, well, you know, I go out and rent snakes. Now, wait a minute, Mo. <laughs> Where do you rent a snake? I mean, do you look in the yellow pages under snakes? How do, do you know, Jim, how do you, how you rent a No, of course not. Nobody, what you do is you go to a pet store, and they rent snakes. They I didn't rent know. I went with him. I said, show me, show me. Walked in and said, you got a bowl constrictor? Yeah, what do you want? Six foot, eight foot? What do you want? I want it for a day. Okay, here. And you bought rent. Rent is different. He is barred. My favorite story about him, and we talk about, he is barred from a national chain of hotel and restaurant. And the reason is, they celebrated Baltimore. He played with Baltimore at the time, and he celebrated uh, one of their winnings and stuff at the end. And that particular chain paid for this banquet. Thousands of people there. They're doing the whole bit. And what he did, he got a two-foot king snake, put it inside a basket, put a uh, bread basket, and put a, to- a napkin over the top. Just set it there. Now, halfway through the meal, he has the audacity to look towards Brooks Robinson and says, Brooks, want some uh, rolls? Yeah, please. Yeah! Down goes the dais of 25 people at a table. The podium goes down. People don't know what's happening, whether it's a fire or not. They go racing out. People are trampled. They have to be taken to the hospital. The man is barred from a national chain. Go to Hong Kong. You say, can you stay here? Get out of here. He's going, 
the man is a legend at giving a hot foot. Now, <laughs> who cares, right? What does that have to do with baseball? It wasn't funny at the time. Bowie Coon was the commissioner at the time, and Bowie walked in one day and said, I know you're notorious for hot foots, but you won't get me. <laughs> Two minutes later, what happened? He didn't get him because he... Bowie was looking around for him while his back was to the wall so that he could watch in front of him. And what he did is he dropped a few matches by his foot and then took some lighter fluid and drew a trail <laughs> all the way into the, to the uh, medical room off to the side. And while he's in the medical training room, he lights it. And Bowie's standing there saying, well, it is a great world. So, yeah! <laughs> Got him! Got him! Now, this is stupid, childish, and funny... It's stupid and childish at the time, but today it's funny, and today it's the humor. So we can't talk about today's humorous people until next time uh, or 10 years from now, because then they will be humorous rather than vile. <laughs> Ron, i got to make the same comment to you as I made to Joe Garagiola last spring when he was here about both your books. There is nothing in here that I wouldn't let my six-year-old daughter read. Well, see, I taught school for a while and well found out I hated children, but that's another story. And <laughs> I cannot make myself write anything bad or nasty. I mean there are no drugs in the book. There are so many nice things to write about in baseball that I don't want to write about the bad things, the negative things. Well, even even the even fun things, even and the I, good things, you use language that well, might asterisks. That, I say, well see, there's a little code. I use the same asterisk. If it's, if it's kind of a cryptogram. If you can figure out what that asterisk, whether it's an A, B, C, it relates to a certain vowel and letter. And so if you want to crypto, uh, work out the code, you can find out what the words are. But, it, but it's all gibberish if you don't know that. And I, I don't think high school students could figure out codes without the computer. <laughs> you don't know some of the high school students I know. <laughs> but, but you know, you pick up so many sports books these days, and all it is, I mean, they're funny stories, but you don't, I, they're stories I could not read verbatim on the air because yeah. the the language. And it, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see a book that is not only funny, but a, a book that I could read word for word with no problems at all, the, the book that I could let my six- or my eight-year-old daughter read with, with no, no problems at all. She wouldn't read anything in here that, uh, that she's not supposed to read. Well, thank you for saying that my book's on a six-year-old level. <laughs> you, you really know how to help people out, don't you? <laughs> After this short break, Ron Luciano throws a curveball into the obsession with statistics. Now back to my 1989 interview with former umpire Ron Luciano. I had so much fun writing it because when I was down in spring training and I was interviewing Whitey Ford on one side and on the other side was uh, Lopez. Uh, and we were talking for two hours and during, during, in the Florida sun in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then the game started. And I went up in the press box and did some research on the stuff. And I'm watching the game. And I thought to myself, my God, this is my job. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I just had six hours of absolute bliss in the sun in Florida being paid for this stuff. And that kind of – you can never – Never really, really feel how great it is to have a job like that. When I was umpiring, I would walk out in the field and, you know, they'd start booing. 
And I'd say, I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. And they would yell certain things, you know, um, shake your head, your eyes just stuck, you know. Uh, you poke a hole in that mask so you can see. And the one that drove me up a wall, the one that really, really bothered and got deep down, move around, you're killing the grass. <laughs> I mean, that's not fair But when people did that. But when I'm writing the book, I run into none of that. I run into... Ball players come up to me and said, and say, they know I'm not going to write anything bad about them. And uh, uh, one of the second basemen came up last year, and I'll think of his name in a few seconds. He came up to me and he said, Ronnie, he said, why don't you ever put me in your book? And I said, well, you know, I just write about funny things. He said, I'll do something funny. <laughs> I said, okay, do something funny and I'll put you in the book. Now, isn't that a great attitude to have, to, to have people come up and say, I will do something funny so you can put me in your book, rather than don't put me in that book, don't put me in there. I don't want to be exposed to, and be out like that. So I know that the things in there are fun and nice things to, to read. And they're even more fun to write. And you know, it's funny. I just, I just literally had finished your chapter on the statistics, and uh, <laughs> and I got a call from a publisher who was pitching me, no pun intended, this brand new book that is going to replace all of the baseball books. It's a huge encyclopedic baseball book that has every statistic ever put together. They've gone back in history, rechecked, recalculated all the figures to make sure everything's accurate. <laughs> I just started to laugh. Because <laughs> I literally had just put your book down. <laughs> I said, you won't believe what I just read. <laughs> uh, what, what is the use of all these statistics? I, I don't know if I you know I say in there if you know, I beyond batting be, average and ERA what do you need I don't if I I would be an accountant if I want to know about <laughs> all those things that go on and stuff but it does help I mean you talk to the managers and it does help it helped uh, Earl Weaver uh, in Baltimore he knew that uh, Crowley could hit a right-handed uh, pitcher under six foot on a day that it was less than seventy degrees and he could. I mean, that's why he set a, a, a pinch it uh, record. So maybe those statistics are important, and maybe they do it. But I like to see Jim Fergosi two years ago in spring training. Well, last year in spring training, uh, he was with the uh, White Sox, and it had three days of rain in a row. And he was trying to cut his squad down to 30. And he had six people to try for two spots. And he wanted to look at them more. And he said, first of all, none of the six are good enough. I'm trying to see which one of the six makes the fewest mistakes so I can put him in that slot. He said, the team is so bad. We're in spring training, and you know eternal hope and everything. We're going to finish class. And we haven't even started. You know? He's so down. And he said, I'm going in to do one of the favorite things of all times. And I said, not stats. Not stats. He said, no, that comes after it because I have to do that. Before I do that, remember Captain Dynamite. And I wrote about Captain Dynamite in another book that I had. And Captain Dynamite is, here's a man that goes around the country and blows himself up with dynamite. <laughs> he gets paid to blow himself up. <laughs> I mean, what kind of a character is this? You know? And how much do you charge to blow yourself up with dynamite? I mean, you can only do it once, right? <laughs> so you better charge him. Well, this guy does it every week at fairs and the whole bit. And Jim said, do you know Captain? I said, yeah, I interviewed him. I went down and I talked to him. I said, he said, he cheers me up. How? He said, I'll show you. And he grabs hold of the phone and he dials the phone and he says, hello, Captain. Hello, Captain. <laughs> this is Jim. For well, the man is stone deaf. And talking to a stone deaf man on the phone is what? Relates, Jim. And then afterwards, we went over. He got his computer out. 
and started and said, okay, now look, here's what we do now and then. See these six guys that I'm trying to do for things? I want to pitch in more. The guy, this one by had been up ten times in spring training. He has hit the ball in ten different directions. <laughs> <laughs> now, how can I possibly get a pattern from him? I can't use him because he's too sporadic. You know he's not a consistent type of ball player. He's not ready for the major leagues. And I said, stats do that to you? He said, yeah, stats do that rather than any other. He said, because it's raining, what am I going to do? Go in the batting cage? He said, you know. also, he said, the other thing, you, the stats help so much. But the personalities are the ones that really do it. And I said, the person, he said, it's so hard to be a ball player and not be egotistical. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's Jim Cott is a perfect example. Jim Cott paid for 26 years. Uh-huh. And Jim, he won 20 games one year. So he goes into Calvin Griffin. And he gets $16,000 for that 20-game win that year. The next year he comes back and he wins 18. He gets his... His salary, and instead of sixteen thousand, it's fourteen thousand, a two thousand dollar knock. So he calls up Griffin and he said, "Calvin, you gave me two. He's of course you lost less games. He said, "Well, I want to talk to you about it. Come in next Tuesday." He walks into the office, and he stands there, and for five minutes, Calvin just looks at him and ruffles papers, talks on the phone, does it all. He says, "What do you want?" He said, "I'm here to talk about my contract." You're here to talk about. Sit down. We'll talk about your contract. I don't understand what you want to talk. It's time for lunch anyway. And he orders a sandwich and coffee and stuff for himself. Doesn't even give God water. Here's a 20-game win. It doesn't even give him water. He finally signs for the 14000 The next year, he wins 22 games. And he goes in to sign a contract, gets him way up to 16000 where he was three years prior. <laughs> right? Now, Fergosi is saying, see these stats? We go in. We can't. Put these stats in front of these ball players and make them humble, or, or try to get them down and try harder. In the article that we talked about before, we, we talked about Wade Boggs. In the article, he said, "I was never more de- devastated in my life when I went in for arbitration and sat down because they don't negotiate contracts. Their agents don't. Their lawyers' agents negotiate the contracts." He said, "When I went in to sit for my arbitration, he said I sat down there, and they were talking about my errors." Oh, my gosh. No, they mentioned errors. I'm a hitter. Why should they? They always talk about how great Mattingly is, and he can catch the ball and everything. They never talk about how great I win a batting title and stuff. (laughs) See that egotistical thing? Because of the agents and because of this, they aren't exposed to being knocked down like a cat. So I don't think we're going to have ball players that stick around for 26 years anymore because how can you possibly be that egotistical for 26 years and not get knocked down and knocked out of uh, a thing see baseball so many facets of it and that's what we talk about through the whole thing there's so many different things in baseball you can talk about you can spend hours Uh just on agents and money and again that's anything bad or anything good Uh, I don't know if it hurts to get more money in baseball. But when I uh, when I talked to Don Drysdale, one of the first $100,000 guys, mm-hmm. all right, and I said, he went in for 100000 and that was a, a funny little thing that he went into because he went in to ask uh, O'Malley for $100,000, and O'Malley said, your pitching partner, Sandy Koufax, was just in here, and he doesn't want 100000 Why would you want 100000 And this is before the, the, the figures were published. And Drysdale was so mad. Two days later, he because it was before spring training, he saw Sandy. And he, when he saw Sandy, he said, you got Sumner or Sandy. 
not asking for 100000 and making me gig. He said, what do you mean? O'Malley told me you didn't want 100000 That's why I could <laughs> So they walked in together. And as they walked in the front door, O'Malley looked up and said, uh-oh, what do you want? <laughs> they said, we both want 100000 They got it. And I talked to Drysdale, and I said, did it make any difference? He said, no. More money. I tried just as hard on the field. He said, but you know what? I didn't want to run wind sprints. Ron Luciano died in 1995. He was just 57 years old. And you can find easy Amazon links to Ron Luciano's books at our website, heardeverything.com. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my 1988 interview with a true aviation and space pioneer test pilot chuck yeager how's it feel to fly faster than sound yeah, I, I coined a stock answer in 1954 said so never replace sex and it, it you know it, it, that's the end of the question <laughs> that's next time on now i've heard everything i'm bill thompson <laughs>